is a remnant of our Bible read-through, um, which has been fantastic. In preparation for Easter this year, we decided to read through the Bible, um, cover to cover, in six days. And uh, by His grace, we did it. Um, and I, I say we because there was none of us that it, it rested upon. Um, none of us. Yeah, it was everybody working together. I'm so thankful. And um, it's, been, it's been really, really good. It was really neat. Um, I had the opportunity, one of, or some of the neighbor kids around the, the neighborhood heard, uh, well, one, they were astonished. They're like, why are there people here during the week? Like, this is so strange. It's like, well, what we're doing is we're reading the Bible. And they said, well, I've never read the Bible before. And I thought, wow, that's really, really cool. Um, we're in Jeremiah. They're getting ready to burn down Jerusalem. I don't really know how to, <laughs> I don't know really how to introduce you to that. So uh, where, do, where do we start? Like, why is the Bible important? Why do we care about it? Why am I going to read from it this morning and try to encourage you from it this morning? Um, and I said to the guys, I said, well, if I tell you that my name is Michael, then you have something to call me by, but you don't really know anything about me. If I tell you that I'm a dad and I've got a bunch of kids, then you know something about me, but you don't know whether I'm a good dad or whether I'm a bad dad. If I tell you a story about this one time that I had my kids together with me in the car and they were going crazy and I like, got them to calm down and I was patient and, and kind and gentle and everything worked out well, then you might be skeptical about whether or not I actually like, know what I'm doing, but you'll know something about um, like, either I'm good at lying or I'm a good, I'm a good parent um, or I'm not even telling the whole story. If, however, <clears throat> all of my children sit down and they write about their stories of how I interacted with them and how I walked with them and how I corrected them when they needed it and how I blessed them um, over in abundance, then you would have some kind of a picture of what kind of, what kind of person that I am. Like if You don't have to take my word for it. Take it from my kids, the people who I grew up with. And that really is what the Bible is. It's a, it's a collection of stories of God's kids talking about how God dealt with them over and over and over throughout all of history. So from, it's, it all tells kind of one story, and the story that it's telling is God is good. His character is perfect, and we can trust him. Um, even when it seems like things are going wrong, um, there's still, God is still good, and he's still working. And, um, man, I just have so many thoughts carried over from, from our experience this week that I'm going to try and keep it keep it focused, but we've been talking about that, uh, that God is good, and him is no darkness at all. We just finished a series called Light in the Dark, um, talking about how God's character is perfect, and so if, if that's a new idea to you or something, that might be a good place to start on the YouTube channel and go back and watch those sermons. Um, but why does it matter? Why does it matter that God's good? Why does it matter that we can trust him? Um, why, why does it matter for today? Why would I get a, take a shower yeah, I'll probably need that. Thanks. <laughs> Why would I get up and take a shower and uh, get cleaned up and, and uh, get dressed and come to a building on a Sunday morning that was only moderately air-conditioned when I got in here? Thank you, Josh, for turning the air conditioner on. Um, why would, I, why would any of that matter? And so what I'd like to do together this morning, if it's okay, is to look at the first time the gospel message was actually written down the first time that it was written down, and talk a little bit about um, what that means. So this is, I want to zero in on the hinge point, 
the point in history where if this isn't true, then none of it matters. I want to zero in on that, and I want to zero in on it the first time that it got written down. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, if you want to use these blue Bibles that are tucked in the chairs in front of you, it's on 1199, page 1199, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, and you might, if you're familiar with the Bible, you might be thinking, well, that's, that's not the first time we talk about Jesus' death and resurrection. Like, there's whole biographies before then. Well, that's true, uh, but the biographies were likely written after this letter was written. This letter was written by a pastor named Paul, who had started a church in a city called Corinth. And Corinth was a port city. Um, there was a lot of people in and out of it. It was really, um, really kind of a rambunctious city. Uh, you might think Las Vegas today uh, that Paul planted a church in, started a church in, and he had to leave. So he hears about some things that are going on, and he writes this letter back to them. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 15 what I think probably is the first time that somebody writes down um, the gospel for us. So uh, I'd like to look at that together with you, if that's okay. Uh, but before we do, uh, I'm going to need God's help. I suspect maybe you will too. So let's pray together. And it's our habit here at Neighborhood Church to pray the disciples' prayer. You might be familiar with it as the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Um, but this isn't a magic spell or anything like that. It just is the model of prayer that Jesus left for us. And it's helpful if we're going to pray together to use the same words. So I put the words on the screen. And I'd invite you to pray with me. Uh, you can pray uh, quietly or you can pray out loud. Um, but let's bow our hearts together and pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll begin in verse 1 here. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So I'm going to pause there. So spoiler alert, uh, Paul is, uh, is saying at the very beginning that this message is really, really important. He says, uh, this is the message, the gospel, the good news uh, that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. He says, this message is life-saving to you. So on the front end, he gives us this, this kind of, uh, spoiler alert, like I'm going to remind you of something I already told you. To that church, he's already told them. Uh, to us, it might be the first time that we've heard it. Um, and encourages us to hold fast to this um, unless you believed in vain. So, verse 3. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believe. So we'll, we'll pause there. Paul says here, I delivered to you of first importance. The first thing that I wanted you to know, the most important thing that I wanted you to know was this message. I delivered it to you the same way that I received it. So I received this as of first importance. This is the, uh, the most important thing that we can study or that we can, uh, that we can um, believe. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So what's he saying? He's saying that uh, the most important thing is a story about a man named Jesus. That Jesus came to the earth, that he walked uh, the earth uh, among us. He was born of a virgin. And that as he walked, he, wa- he showed us a different way to live. And he said over and over again, um, in a couple of different ways, that he is the Son of God. And it was significant that he, Jesus, the Christ, Christ being the Messiah, the Savior, uh, as a title, that he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Um, So he ends up talking about what is a historical fact. So I think of like browsing a library and going through um, all the books of the histories. Um, Josh is probably a big fan of like going through and looking at historical stuff, Um, dusting off old books and figuring out old stories. And it's significant that this story, this time that this message is written down, the first time that it's written down, is really only decades after the fact of what happened. And you see from the text that he's talked to people who were eyewitnesses of the thing happening. So it's not just that um, this is an old story, uh, and it's not just that it's been passed down from generation to generation, but he says, I've spoken to eyewitnesses. I received from eyewitnesses, people who saw this happen, that Christ died and he was raised on the third day. Historical fact is, is kind of funny because we believe a lot about a guy named Alexander the Great, um, that he conquered a bunch of stuff and he set up maybe what was the first empire, maybe not. I mean, I think people in China would be offended at me saying that. But um, for our Western mindset, it's kind of the first empire. And yet the first history is about Alexander the Great weren't actually written down until hundreds of years after he lived on the earth. And that's actually how history worked, is a lot of things weren't exactly written down and codified for hundreds and hundreds of years. But here we have, within decades, an account written down and verified by eyewitnesses that Jesus came, he lived, people followed him, he died, and he was resurrected on the third day. That's the reason why Christians celebrate Easter. That's the reason why it is significant, is because Christ died and because he came back to life. It's one thing to die for somebody. Like I could probably, given the right circumstances, die for my friends or die for my kids. I could probably do that. But I do not have the power to be able to raise myself back to life again. The sacrifice once given is done. But Jesus demonstrates that his power is not just to die for our sins, but to completely forgive them in that he raises himself up from the dead after three days. And this is the gospel, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his appearance to many. There were Cephas, uh, you probably know his name is Peter. If you've read the Bible at all, you've heard of Peter. That's another name for Peter. Uh, Then to the 12, the disciples, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. It's kind of hard to fake your death 
uh, or to die, and then fake your resurrection if there are 500 people who've seen you in the flesh after the fact, before you're resurrected. So if you're a person who is, is skeptical about faith in Christianity and, and skeptical about the Bible, like, I get it. There's a lot of baggage to unpack. There's a lot of uh, stories that are lumped in together that maybe aren't even related to one another. But I just ask you to consider this Easter morning um, this truth, that Jesus was a man who walked the earth, who taught, and we have record of what is teaching, and that he came back to life after he died. It's not insignificant. He didn't come close to death. He didn't narrowly escape death. He died fully. Like, legally, he was dead. In the Jewish mindset, you weren't legally dead until you'd been dead for three days. So he'd been legally dead, and then he came back to life. And there are some personal implications to this. At least for Paul, he received this message, and it completely changed his life. So... It's, I'm trying to figure out exactly how to, how, to, how to introduce the next thought. It's one thing to do all of that. It's one thing for it to have happened. It's another thing for people to have made a record of it. But it's another thing to have said on the front end, I'm going to do something. Have you ever um, talked to or like seen a magic show? And the magician like tells you, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And you're like, yeah, sure, you're going to do that thing. I totally believe you. And then he seems to have done it. And you know that he didn't actually do it, and he knows that he didn't actually do it, but you're all kind of like bought into it. Like, it's, it's one thing for you to make a pledge. It's another thing to be the prestige, if I can throw that. Is that movie dead now? Can I reference that? Yeah, okay, cool. Um, it's one thing to, like, have a, had the appearance of it. It's another thing to have verifiable witnesses. I just want to show you, and I, I typically uh, steer away from doing this, um, but I do want to turn in our Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 9. And it's going to be on 1081, page 1081 in these blue Bibles. Um, Luke, Luke was a doctor. Luke was a guy who was pretty skeptical. He liked just the facts. And so he sets out to write down a biography about Jesus that's, that's orderly and that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to Luke chapter 9. And so he went around and talked to as many eyewitnesses as he could about who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and what Jesus said. Um, and in Luke chapter 9 and verse 18, he records a conversation that I think is really significant. Jesus is, uh, is talking with his 12 closest friends, and he's saying, uh, or he wants to know, like, what's the word on the street? So Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Now, it happened that as he was praying alone, Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, uh, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old that is risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. So that's a, a Jewish way of saying you're the Savior. You're the Savior of our nation. You're the Savior of the world, the Christ, the Messiah of God, the chosen one, the anointed. Verse 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is months and months before it happened. Jesus said, hey, not only am I going to go to Jerusalem, but 
these guys are going to be really mad that I'm there. They're going to be mad that I showed up, and they're going to hate me so much that they're going to kill me. And they're going to kill me, and I'm going to die. And then after three days, I'm going to be raised. Like, this wasn't a surprise to Jesus. And if we're going to take, if we're going to take seriously any of the things that, we taught, that he has taught, then can we take, for, take seriously that he says, I am the Christ of God, I am the Savior of the world, and I am going to resurrect on the third day. Like, I, I don't even know what I'm going to have for breakfast in the morning. And, and Jesus is like, yeah, it's in a couple of months, this is what's going to happen. And you guys are real confused. You'll see later in that chapter that he says it again, and the disciples are confused, and they're afraid to even ask him about it. They're like, we don't even know what you're talking about. What do you mean? So, what's, what's the point? What's the big idea for you? If Jesus is who he says he is, then we should fully embrace him. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we should fully embrace him. Which leads us to the question of, will we embrace Jesus with our whole life? Like, if if he is who he says he is, and we should, then will we? Will we learn his ways? Will we walk with him? Will we trust him that he's doing good work in the world? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at the world and I go, I don't have any idea what you're up to, Jesus, but it seems like you're asleep today. But I trust you. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to trust you. I'm trying to walk with you. You say that you're good. You say that your character is perfect. I want to be there for that. Will we embrace Jesus with our whole life? Now back in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, there seems to be some kind of a conversation in the church of Corinth about whether or not people could actually be resurrected from the dead. Like, I don't know why this was a point of, of conversation in particular, but they were. So in 1 Corinthians 15, from verses uh, 12 to 19, he goes on to say, um, yeah, people can be raised from the dead because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what I told you from the beginning. That was the most important thing. Um, and so, like, you should probably believe that resurrection is actually a thing. But here's, here's the second, not the second part, but here's the last part of the gospel that Paul delivered to them. It's in, in verse 20, so I'd invite you to read it with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So, we've got Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, and his appearance. So, we've got a historical fact that happened in the past, but why does it matter for us today? The message continues that not only has he, has he raised back from the dead, but he, and he's now ascended to heaven, but he promises that he's going to come back, and that he hasn't finished the work yet that he started while he was on earth. He says he's gonna, he is going to return. Um, Christ the first fruits raised from the dead, and then it is coming all those who belong to Christ. So there's a resurrection for people who belong to Christ, people who've trusted in him, people who've walked with him with their lives. 
Um, and then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So um, whoever, whatever political affiliation you're unhappy with, just know that Jesus gets control over all of them in the end. So you should probably just start worshiping him right now um, and get, get a lead on that. Um, but he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When we get down to it, um, death is one of the questions I think that each of us has to answer. We get uncomfortable at funerals because we have to remember that our day comes too. And we don't usually know when it's coming. There's kind of, kind of three questions that I think each of us has to wrestle with. And, and some of us wrestle with them a lot more than others. Um, but maybe when we're quiet and sleeping at night or trying to go to sleep at night, these things come to mind. What is the meaning of life? Why am I even here? Is there any hope that what's wrong in my life is going to be made right again? And what happens when we die? And what Jesus says is, like, I've conquered death. I've made it a joke. Like, I've made an end of it. Like, there's grief and there's mourning and there's weeping while people are taken away from us. But ultimately, like, death bows to me. I'm the one who has overcome it, and I'm going to overcome it. And all that's broken in the world and all that is torn apart, I'm going to put back together and I'm going to restore, not just restore it to like it was, but restore it to better than it was. What's the gospel? What's the good news of Christianity? It's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, but it's also his promise to return and his promise to restore. His work isn't finished yet. So will we follow Jesus in the way of true life? Skip down with me to the end of, or kind of more to the middle of this passage uh, in verse 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable? What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. What is, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are born of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So if you have a body this morning, uh, God seems to think that having a body is sufficient proof that you also have a spirit. It says if you take care of your body, uh, if you feed it and you clothe it and you let it get rest, then perhaps you should pay some attention to your soul as well. And who better to entrust your soul to than the one who conquers death? If Jesus is who he says he is, then we should fully embrace him. Would you pray together with me? God, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, I thank you that uh, you are strong and you are mighty and you speak clearly. And so, Lord, um, I just submit this message uh, to you. God, if there's anything that's just my own opinion or my own words, um, if there's anything lacking in the presentation, God, I pray that all those things would be swept away. But, God, I pray that your word would stand true and fast. God, the only hope we have in life and in death is that you have overcome death, that you are resurrected. And God, this, for those of us who are trusting in you, is a day of rejoicing. And Lord, we know that you give us life, that, that you might uh, share your love with those who are far from you. And so, God, I pray that you would draw close those who are far from you. God, that you would give them your life. I thank you that even when we weren't seeking after you, you still have sought after us. And we were, when we were still your enemies, you went so far as to die for us. And God, I thank you that this is not the end of the story, that the hope that we have is not just here on earth, but that you are making all things new. Come quickly. It's in your name we pray. So as Josh comes up, um, we're going to take a few minutes and uh, just reflect on how God's speaking this morning. Um, if there's something that you need to write down or text message or something like that, then now's a good time to do it. But um, let's just take a few minutes in quiet and reflect on how God's speaking this morning before we close together singing.